0: source for stateside views on everton football club hosted by james boyman and ryan williams
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast, following Everton's 1-1 draw with Burnley at Turf Moor. My name is James Boyman, joined as always by my co-host, Ryan Williams. Ryan, how are we
0: doing? Um, I'm okay, which is what one point means, but I'd be a lot happier if we had three. I guess we didn't blow it, but still pretty frustrated.
1: Frustrating day for sure. I mean, Everton from Goal.com, Everton having kept a Premier League clean sheet since the opening day of the season, not good. Not again either. Not again. And we also, uh, against Burnley, have yet to draw until today, or yesterday rather, uh, in 12 Premier League meetings overall. Seven victories to five in favor of Everton. That was not the case today. First draw against Burnley in the Premier League. Quick shout out to Naj121 on the Discord for... Really, uh, Nostradamus esque prediction of the match. He said, 1 1 because Dom, but also because our defense isn't great. Hope I'm proved wrong. Sorry to say, Naj, you were proved entirely correct, but there's your shout out. Very, uh, very good prediction there. And we just had to give a quick, uh, I guess we had to put Ethan, Ethan Zander, aka the Penny Blue, on the spot for. He does these ridiculous predictions every week, but this week was perhaps the most ridiculous of all with predicting a 10-nil win, all goals scored by Richarlison to become the new league leading goal scorer. That certainly was not the case. But Ryan, over to you for your instant match reaction.
0: I mean, I thought we had a chance at the 10-nil. Um, but unfortunately, when it ends in the third minute, uh, that doesn't make you feel real good. Well, missed opportunity. Uh, I you know, I we can we'll get into it in more detail, but I just Missed opportunity. It's it's a match that when your defense is struggling and you supposedly have a high-powered offense, there, there's merit in being able to shut down a good team and maybe take points, especially on the road against better teams. But really, it's probably more important just from a mathematical standpoint to take three points against teams you should.
1: And that is, having done this podcast now for over two years, the recurring theme of Everton, unable to take points, three points off the teams we need to beat, it uh, it just felt it was like deja vu back to square one all over again. The game was begging to be won. I mean, it's never good when you concede that quickly, and that was certainly a huge problem. But after that, once we equalized on the cusp of halftime, the entire second half, we were they were begging us practically to beat them. We just were unable to find the the final way through. I mean, the fact that they were time-wasting, like 30 minutes into the match I oh, think, says disgrace. it all about how they approach the match. And Everton just didn't match that with any kind of intent or, I mean, again, we had chances, but unable to execute in the end. And there was really not a whole lot of uh, enterprising going forward. And really no one took it upon themselves to, to win the game. And we had our, we certainly had our chances um, Ryan over to you for some observations that you had.
0: Yeah, out on the Twitter sphere, we had some feedback that I thought was interesting. Uh, Spee for three was one. Cody Reader. We want Mitch. Thank you, Mitch, for saying bleeping as opposed to the actual word. We appreciate that. We can keep it good on the air. Um, They all kind of said the same thing. You know, the key point to tell it this year was different. Posting this again, you know, the tailspin continues. Feels like every performance we've had against bottom three clubs post the Lukaku era. I've watched the same bleeping game against these... Clubs for 10 years now. I guess we didn't bleep that one out. Sorry. But we did for the pod. I, I didn't feel it quite that way. I felt like this was one that we should have won. I feel like too often we would go on the road against a Burnley and just struggle, you know, and not feel fluid at all. And although we weren't entirely fluid, I, I mean we should have won the game. We created plenty of chances. Um I, I I don't know. Maybe people just felt that way because of the way we started. So uh the Everton lineup was was interesting, not not a bunch of changes, Jamez. No, no dramatic changes. So, the, the key changes
1: here were Holgate out for Mina, which makes sense given Burnley's style of play. They're going to look to put in a lot of crosses, which, of course, they ultimately did. And then the interesting one being uh, Delph coming in for Tom Davies and then switching a back from the left to the right side, putting Delph, uh, presumably, at left wing back and looking at that back, basically a back five to start Burnley's lineup. Uh, I mean, they just play the same guys week in, week out, and this is what we've seen a lot of these teams that are consistently able to play the same lineup, unsurprisingly, are able to, uh, I guess, execute on the manager's vision for the club, the team, their style of play, and when you have to chop and change, like Everton seemed to have to do almost every single week now, it is it makes it really hard
0: to keep up a continuous good run of form yeah it's one thing to have a solid system it's another thing to have players that are all accustomed to playing it carlo hasn't been here that long so it's not like we have people on the bench or people that u23 has been playing the same thing forever can just kind of plug and play so you can criticize the system all you want but even playing the same system if you don't have people that are comfortable with each other within the system it matters uh burnley yeah same lineup you saw the same thing for southampton why do you think they look so good they never had a guy hurt you know, and so often when that happens, teams are hard to break down. I don't think that was the case today. But yeah, you saw what you saw. You saw four four two. You saw a bunch of aerials. Uh, I think both of us were a little surprised at how much pressure they tried to place on us uh, in winning the ball back. And I'm not surprised because I don't think we've shown propensity to deal with it, that that was a decision. But I think a little surprised to see it. Uh, You know, I thought that when they started with Rodriguez up with Wood, I figured we'd see Ashley Barnes, who's one of my least favorite players on the planet, come in. Um, Yeah. And sure enough, he flopped at one point. Thank you, referee, for not calling it um, because we scored off it. Uh, McNeil's a good player off the left side. Mm, Uh, He's a very dangerous player. But yeah, we saw what we thought we would. Lots of long balls. uh, And eventually after they broke the press, they'd sit in the lower block with me and Tarkowski trying to gobble up crosses. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's leads the same way. You know, they've been pretty healthy. It's the same people. I mean, especially press pressure. You know, you really need the same guys in there. Um and we're just missing that consistency and execution. Um I thought the tactical setup it was a little bit different, and maybe that was a function of of a woby, but there was obviously a big change when Delf got hurt, right. yeah. I mean, so
1: so when we started, obviously, you had Delf at the wing back, Woby. I thought we looked. Or will be on the the right hand side. I mean, I thought the back line looked pretty out of sorts. They Burnley didn't. I mean, they scored immediately. Right, I had barely sat down to start watching the match before we're down one nil, and that is against a side like Burnley. You can't give up the first goal because that allows them to sit back and do everything. But as you said, Ryan, I was really surprised at how how much they pressed and how high they pressed uh, regularly in the first half. I mean, it's not typically their MO, but I think they've identified that Everton are not great at breaking a high press. And we've shown that, um, you know, guys aren't always willing to, to take guys off the dribble to beat the one or two guys individually, which then kind of unravels the whole system of pressure that the team's applying. But Hamas tucked in on the right-hand side, fairly typical. I mean, he was, I think as the seasons were on, he's been given more freedom to roam, and he's always kind of done that since he's been in a blue shirt, but he really seems to be popping up all over the place, going all the way over to the left-hand side to create mismatches. And at times that left a ton of space for a Woby to exploit, especially in the second half on the right-hand flank, but it also left him a little bit isolated. I think with not a whole lot of options uh, going forward, we had um, again, the for the first 30 minutes or so before Delph went down, it was, it was difficult, but, the, the common observation, um, and Jaden Sherman said this on Twitter, terrible first half sums it up, instantly looked better with the formation switch. Our lack of attacking quality in the bench showed at the end of the game would have been nice to have Keen back from PSG and or Gordon on the bench to help get the win. And I think that's the formation change going back to the back four. I mean, we've had these these calls for continue with the back five, try it out. But it just never really seems to click for Everton, no matter how many, how we try it, who the personnel are. It, it, the players always look like they're a little bit lost, a little bit un- unsure of themselves. And once Delph went out with, I mean, the most obvious hamstring injury perhaps of all time, um, which is so typical for Fabian and un- unfortunate, but yep. in isolation in this one particular game, I think it helped us a lot because it allowed Ben Godfrey to go to a left-back position. Certainly not something he's very accustomed to, but I thought he did really well purely on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but I think the lack of offense, I mean, we've really missed kind of the two-way ability of Luka Dean on that left-hand flank.
0: It's frustrating because you would think with three in the back that center backs would feel a little more liberated to come out and be more aggressive, challenging right. shot takers. So we've seen two weeks in a row where... The goal was scored off a, a shot from distance. This time it was again failing to close down on someone or coming. To, you know, initially it was Godfried failing to close down a Rafinha and then backing off. Um, that one's a little bit unfortunate because it got through him. Part of that's a technique issue, but again, Michael Keane, the same thing. Um, I, I think tactical setup was certainly better when we played. With the four, but let's not get too crazy here. In essence, Ben Godfrey was playing as as you know a, a surely defensive player. He really didn't yeah. get up the pitch at all, um, at all. Uh, but yeah, it was very interesting as the game went on. When we look at the passing network, I mean everything was played through a Wobi. I mean a Wobi had the most touches on the team and he was isolated at times very much so and almost forced to do either dribble by someone across it or he really didn't have a couple times later we were effective when Decore came over to his side playing him through once uh Hames that made it a little bit different uh, difficult but yeah I, I don't know if it was so much the tactics or how the players played within it um i will say this after the goal we did take care of the ball pretty well i mean we were only mm. dispossessed 5 times we had possession i mean it, it you know even in just early into the second half, we're at 61.5% possession, Uh, you know, almost at that overall. Um, And when you look at kind of the timeline and stuff, I mean, it just, they didn't create many chances, honestly. So, you know, you look at the goal, I I think it's worth discussing. Um, So it's worth a quick discussion on the world of XG and, and post-shot XG. So expected goals is basically a measure historically of, players taking a shot, the chance of it going in based on all sorts of different parameters. You know, if the ball's on the ground, in the air, there's traffic, distance, angle type thing. There's also post-shot expected goal, which takes into account the quality of the shot. So Brady's goal, XG, was 0.06. Why? Yeah, from distance and had someone in front of him. So normally they're not scoring from there. His post-shot, XG, was 0.33. It was a good shot, no question about it. Now, again, still, still, I, I would be remiss to say that Jordan Pickford is, has the third worst P90 goals conceded from outside the box in the top five European leagues right now this year. Yeah. And I didn't look for last year, but I'm sure it was high again. Should he save that? It's a really good shot. I don't know, but I start, so I start going through and a lot of people gave him kind of man of the match shout. So they had two shots on goal besides that one. One was Chris Wood and it was a good save in the 40th, you know? Um, but I can't help but see and watch that. And he's sitting deep. He's totally on his line. And if he maybe anticipates a little quicker, he's on top of wood and wood has no chance of getting a shot by him. So, and even the header um, in the 80th, which was 82nd, which was an important save. I mean, it really wasn't that tough to save when I watched it a couple times, but he made it look very dramatic. So to bring an American point of view, for those of you who watch hockey, um, often you see certain goaltenders or people make saves and it just seems like they're spectacular. Well, many times it's because they're out of position or they're flailing around or they have bad technique and they're just showboating a little bit. I, I gotta, be- I don't know if I really believe this, but part of me starts thinking maybe he just makes so many saves look spectacular because he's just purely on instinct and his positioning's better. Maybe he's making them look better than they are. I mean, you watch a cross Mm. go into the box like against Burnley and he's hopeless. I think he was one of 11 on crosses. I'm just dying for him to jump in and actually attack a ball inside his six, but he's not real tall and they have bodies in front of him. I get it. And I can't ignore the numbers. I mean, last year, his numbers were terrible in terms of post-shot expected goal and goals conceded he was second worst in the entire league behind kepa and well kepa ain't playing anymore as a result and this year's been no exception too he looks awful save percentage is bad so man of the match shouts maybe i have a feeling maybe some people's perception which isn't that like his perception really should be is debatably the worst keeper in the league um but people don't see it that way are they wrong am i am i wrong am i going overboard here i just I'm not 100% sold that he's that bad, but I think he might be. I, I don't know. I
1: this is this is an interesting debate, and I think you make some really good points. I think last season there was very little that Jordan Pickford was excellent at, or even average at. He was poor in almost all aspects of his game. He was at times a complete liability in the air for crosses, even making, you know, no brainer saves. He would make them end up, uh, make the situation more difficult than was necessary. I think what we've seen now is he has at least cleaned up the blatant errors that plagued his game for a really long time. He's not making really costly mistakes. Until he makes the next one. Knock on wood. Right. Huge (laughs) knock on wood. But I'm still, he doesn't inspire a great deal of confidence. Like when we're, we're getting crosses into the box, he's punching ones that I think most decent keepers can grab. He is indecisive coming off his line. He'll start to come and then he'll back off. He's not, he's not making the decisions really quickly, but then when he's forced into like a reaction save, he oftentimes has come up with the goods in recent weeks. But yep. even then, like you said, Ryan, I, I think part of it is you might be a little bit out of position. There's no question he made two solid saves today that would have changed the game. I mean, if Burnley go up 2-0 before half, the game's done. I don't think there's any chance that we show any fight and come back. So that save was huge. and But I also think the context in which the save was made maybe makes people uh, overrate the performance overall just because of the it was kind of clutch timing, I guess. So when you look at it, just...
0: The numbers are what they are, you know, and they're not perfect. I mean, they're, you know, the sample size of saves is not high, so you can fluctuate. I'm looking at a total expected post-shot goals of 0.69. And he gave up a goal, so he didn't do better than that. I I mean, I I know that's very simplistic, but the only matches he's done better than his post-shot expected goals, Liverpool, tie, Leeds, he was good, no question. Although he got beat on a goal that was still, he played well, no question And Spurs. Uh, That's the only ones. I mean, you start taking it you start asking questions. I don't know. We have Robin Olson here for a reason. I I don't know what we do next week. It was curious. He wasn't even on the backup chart, so I don't know what's going on there. That is such a weird, that's it's really weird to me because
1: yeah, Southgate and Carlos seem to have a ton of faith in Jordan Pickford. And I mean, I thought Nick Pope was really solid yesterday. He looked really good. So it's he's tough to beat. It's a bit baffling. I mean, he's a little bigger. He's got more wingspan. He can definitely better in the air and coming for crosses. But uh, the fact that Robin Olsen has come in once and done quite well and hasn't even got a sniff sense is, is a little bizarre. But also, I don't think Pickford has had any gigantic gaffes since then either. So, but, but again, he's not could he have saved the goal perhaps but it, again it's it's not one that's an easy save that he lets in like we've seen often in the past it's it's a good shot
0: a really good shot as you illustrated with this, the the metrics backup um i really and, what it comes down to though i mean i i can't necessarily say it's pickford's fault we lost right exactly um, i and, mean and there it, have been
1: games when that was the case though
0: yeah it's not crazy that he gave up one of those three shots went in so that's fine really what it, what it truly comes down to is we didn't score enough uh, there's it, really not much more to it than that. You know, so at one point I, I was, we were firing a lot of crosses in the box because of what we was isolated. And so I, I just kept, I actually started charting our crosses and went back and Y scout and ran them through. I know that's ridiculous, but only you Ryan. Know. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, but I mean, really what it comes down to is we did not finish. Uh, there were opportunities. We didn't even react to crosses very well. I mean, you could go through them all in the 12th minute a Wobies cross DCL. All he needs to do is barely touch it. It goes in. There was a rebound there to Corey. Didn't finish that one. You know, I, Richarlison several times had the ball inside the penalty area and tried a high little soft cross to flip it over the center back for Dom and just under hit it at least yeah. twice. Um, you know, at one point Dom, I remember rushing into space, running down the channel, which is not a strong suit, but he has the space to do it in the 30th minute. All he has to do is somehow get it by his guy and get it over to Decore, was just sprinting. And by the way, you want to see an example of Decore being able to run? I mean, I don't know if it was Tarkowski or not. He smoked someone. I mean, he was in, it was a tap and he couldn't get it over. It got blocked. Awobi cross where DCL high kicked it and Richie was off sides. I mean, that was a good cross. It just didn't adjust all that well. And and there were a couple other ones. Oh my God. I mean, awobe in the 63rd fired one in. It just... I don't know if me got it, but Rich what are you doing, man? He just it split him and Decore. Yeah. And then the worst one, the worst one still, um, and it was right after Wobi had a very nice cross that me did really, really well with, um, was where Wobi got to the line because Decorey played him through on the ground to James on the 12th. Oh. I, I don't know if James just didn't anticipate or didn't come at the ball. I mean, maybe he was surprised that the de- defender got around him, but oh my god, I mean. Yeah, it's just really disappointing. And then really the ultimate decision maker in a game. And and I think this really matters is in the 90th minute, James plays Sigurdsson through. And I, I saw some people say, well, it got cut underneath his feet. Well, hold on a second. Siggy showed first because he was hoping he'd get a square ball. And then it went through by him to hum as he turned the other way. It, he was open. His body was open. It was his first touch. So if the ball is underneath his feet, it's because his first touch stunk. I don't think that was right. it at all. Y well, Scouts gave it a .37, by the way, expected goal. I, that's, that's pretty I, – I think it's, it's a easy. little higher than that. I mean, come on. Look where he yeah. is. He's inside the 12, basically he finishes no one that him. one-on-one he's in one-on-one he finishes that it's a deserved win and i don't think anyone would have been upset about it final expected goal and info goal was 2.31 versus 0.9 i don't think it was quite that big but anyway the point being that's it that's the difference maker it's those moments you know if you're not going to get a tremendous volume of shots against burnley um I, you got to finish and i felt like in leeds it was the same way yes we gave up a lot more, a lot more against Leeds. But come on, man, you've got to finish your chances. When you have the ball in the final third that many times with your dangerous guys, with the ball and opportunities to score, you've got to score. And that's been the problem, really. I mean, I don't fault the defense. You gave up three shots on goal, you know, and and I don't necessarily fault pick on this loss. Um, There were there were some good performances. I, I can't pick a really bad one. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, think were before, there a bad one? I mean, like Michael Keane was the only one I looked at that made a couple of big mistakes, I think, but was he overall bad?
1: And I think that is what is kind of so baffling and, and so frustrating about this As you look at the last few games and it's there's guys that have underperformed, sure, but there's no one there's no one that sticks out as being like god awful. And there's been a lot of uh players who have put in solid enough ships, and the result just doesn't reflect, I think, the the quality of play. The of the entire team as a whole, I mean, I think, you know, you look at some of the highs early on the season. I mean, I don't think James was. I think the last few weeks he's waned in influence slightly. He still comes up and creates chances in big moments as he did for yep. that Sigurdsson chance. Yep, but I also think that he may be starting to get found out a little bit. Um, he's he's a really quality player. I wonder, and we talked about earlier, Awobi being isolated. I wonder if you know a player who isn't renowned for his off-the-ball work rate. Um, does he leave us a little bit exposed in situations where he's trying to shift position to try to move around to, to free up the ball? But then maybe we lose the ball, and then all of a sudden he's he's all the way on the left-hand side. They move the ball to the right, and like Awobi, I mean, he was exhausted by the end of the match. Awobi was, um, you could tell. Does does Hamas is free the, the the free role that he kind of demands as a player limit or or hurt, harm us off the ball when he ends up putting us out of
0: shape I wonder what your thoughts are I don't think he does if he's playing in the middle uh, and I don't yeah. think he did against Burnley I think that's the difference you know against Burnley I think he should have free roam to do those types of things I mean really what it comes down to is this and you could argue it's personnel which I disagree but I understand why some people are saying it Ben Godfrey was basically our left back yeah and so, so let's get into him in terms of individual performances. I thought he was outstanding. Two clearances, three interceptions, football wonder kids put this together. I thought that was nice. Five for yeah. five tackles, one block shot, 10 duels, one three for three and long balls. I mean, his ball playing was good. That's all very solid. But really when you're trying to break down a team that started to sit lower and lower to not have another attacking player in there, basically to have three purely defensive players is that makes it harder to break them down. Now I thought we created enough chances anyway, but. Can you see Man City or someone else doing that? No, no, I don't think so. And and I think part of that is maybe Mina and Keane aren't the best in space, but that's kind of the way it goes. In terms of good performances beyond Gottfried, I, I think that was Alex Iwobi's best, best match in an Everton jersey. I know some people may think I'm being biased, but I thought he was much better, frankly, than he was, even against Fulham. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, when he's afforded
1: that kind of space like he was, I mean, he'd get the ball on a switch and there would be 30, 40 yards of just emptiness for him to drive into. And we know that, that that is an area that he excels. I thought he was very, very good. I think people are being a little bit harsh on the fact that he missed a couple of overhead a couple of crosses late. I thought, by and large, he was one of our few players who actually helped us create anything significant on the offensive end. Um, but back to talking about Godfrey, I mean, he was extremely good defensively. But when you're looking at a Luke Dean-sized hole in the team – and what he provides on offense i mean he's i think what does he have the most assists of any defensive player in the top five european leagues that when you take that out and you replace it with a player who is first of all right footed and doesn't seem to be super comfortable using his left as we i saw a lot of the time he was relying very heavily on his right foot wasn't afforded any kind of license to get forward when we have luca dean making those overlapping runs that makes things a lot easier for James to find those big switches, which he continues to look for regularly. But when it's just Richarlison making that run down the left flank, rather than having both Luca Dean and Richarlison pressuring the defense, drawing them out of position, um, it really kind of limits the the effectiveness of it. And I thought, you know, without Luca Dean in the side, we we really struggled. And we know a lot of our offenses come down that left-hand flank. Without it, it was all on a woby. He did an okay job, but we could have used a little bit more balance, and we just don't have the personnel to do it right now.
0: So, for a Wobie first and then yeah. i'm gonna get to the million dollar question <laughs> uh so first of all Woby was had 105 total actions as measured by y scout and was 74 out of 105 that is an insanely high number uh he he actually he had 108 against burnley with arsenal in 2018 he was 88 of 108 and actually I thought it was like a career high. No, he had 128 against Norwich in 2017 and had 108 successful ones. So I was a little shocked wow. about that. But either way, for us, it's far and away the most he's been involved in a game. His expected assist was 048 I mean, he was seven of 10 dribbles, two key passes, eight progressive runs. That's his high in a Premier League match. It's something we talked about in terms of movement. He provided the inertia, the initiative. He was three of 11 in crosses, but I swear to God, I watched every cross he had. He had several others that should have had someone on the end of it, for heaven's sakes. Dispossessed only twice, considering he had the ball more than anyone else, even defensively had three tackles and an interception. I thought he was outstanding just because he hit three crosses or two crosses in the 90th plus minute does not mean he stunk. I I cannot believe the recency bias in that one is insane. Did you not watch the game? I I thought he was outstanding and, and thank God he was out there on the right side to the point where if we're against a team that's not so good, I wouldn't be so sure that he doesn't just flat out play right back. But the question is, that's fine. If you have another attacking side on the left side, do you have more balance? So the question is, if Niels and Kunku plays, Mm. does it make a difference? And is Carlo ignoring youth? I I think Carlo
1: is realizing that (laughs) this is not, this is just not, he's had one transfer window. He has limited players who he'd probably prefer uh, to play if he had had the choice. And I, I think he's it. It is a little bizarre that he seems to have frozen out both in Kunku and Gordon. I think Gordon's a little bit more of a, a bizarre choice given he has a little bit higher sample size as far as good performances against varying degrees of quality opposition. Whereas in Kunku, lest we say it again, was playing in the fourth division of France less than a year ago and has three or four senior appearances for us, most of which were against league two sides, league one sides. Yeah. Newcastle Um, is the only one in the premier league. He's a natural left back, but he is before this season, we had assumed that we would be looking at potentially a left a backup to replace Leighton Baines. He happened to jump in and be deemed suitable to fill that role, but I don't think he's the ready-made product yet. And anyone who thinks that, and I don't think there are many people that are going that far. People think he deserves a chance. And I think that Burnley would have been a good opportunity to maybe give him that chance. It was a little bizarre to go with Fabian Delph, but Fabian Delph was a regular in the man city side of left back that, that put up a hundred points in a single season. So people saying Fabian Delph is like, makes no sense to play him there. I mean, he had a very in its city. It's not Everton. So that take that with a grain of salt and it's a different role entirely, but there's, it's not like there's, he has way more experience at left back than Niels and Kunku at the level
0: that he's expected to play at. And success at that level. I mean, people forget Fabian Delta is an English national team player for years. Right. Uh, in fact, I felt like he got called in last year. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I, I will only say this. Carlo Ancelotti may just view Niels as, as a really good U23 player. Yeah, In all honesty, and, and you could argue he has no more experience than Thierry Smalls does. I mean, yes, right. he has a little more than that. I'm, I'm shooting for effect here, but the point is <laughs> the idea that, like, think about this. If you were to tell Carlo Ancelotti, Carlo, do you realize the whole fan base is up in arms because you won't play Niels and Kunku? He would look at you like you had five heads. He would be yeah. like, you're telling me you're upset about the kid we bought for the U23s isn't playing. Like you think that is the big difference maker. Now, that being said, you got to know Fabian Delft is injury prone. And if you're going to ask him to go up and down the field and you don't want to change the way you play, now now they would change the way you play. Like Nielsen Kunku is not someone who's going to carry the ball by anyone. He will run. He can cross. He's fast. He's a good athlete. You know, he'll get on the end of stuff. He's a very different player than Delft. Maybe that was his concern. He didn't want to play differently. He wanted more of a possession style game. Of course, that went out the window when they scored. I digress anyway. Yeah. I think people are just getting way too overboard about this. Gordon has a much more convincing case of playing, but again, he also has greater competition too, because I think it'd be very hard to say that Anthony Gordon is a better footballer than Bernard. Yeah. That's really who he's competing with. Now, again, again, we have congested fixtures coming up. I think he'll get his chance, so I'm not freaking out about it. Do I think it would be nice to put on someone like him with legs at the end of a match? Would I put him on instead of Jank Tosin and move Richie up top? Yes, I would. I would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But We also don't know how many people, guys, are in the shop. I don't want to beat this into the ground, but y- you get my point. I think we're overreacting in terms of the impact we think these guys are going to have. And frankly, Gordon, when you look at the numbers, hasn't been that great either. He's had some good moments, but he's not take- he didn't take care of the ball. He's a little bit reckless with it. He's a young player that has a tremendous talent. I look forward to his future, but anyway, I think people need to relax a little bit on it. Um, You know, going back to your original point and kind of summarizing things. um, The one I think that says it right is that crypties from the discord server made this comment. I think it's really good. If we could wave our magic wand and eliminate individual errors, we would be very good. (laughs) Unfortunately uh, there's no end in sight. And really that's a lot of what this comes down to. I know a lot of people like to hack on the system. They like to blame Carlo for the tactics. Again, and I think Leeds was no different. There's their individual mistakes. Uh, and the Chris Wood breakaway was an individual mistake. There was nothing tactically wrong with stacking him and Mina on top to deal with those guys. And the fact of the matter was that Keen went up for an aerial with Wood. He stuck his hands back out after he came down on the ground to show I didn't foul him. I didn't foul him. And then Wood went right by. Him. He tried to reach out and grab him. He didn't really grab him, grab him, do anything. He won't be the last man. is still there. Like you can't do that. That's and you, and you have to close out the shooter. At yeah. least this time it didn't go through him. You know, obviously Keen's right. techniques are a little more refined than Ben Godfrey's, but you've got to go get the guy you're playing with three center backs. What is the hesitation to close down on a shooter? Or even if he's not shooting. He's at the top of the box. It's the most dangerous spot to be in. I, I just, those are individual mistakes. And one of them cost you. And, and, you know, individual mistake too. Gilfy not finishing. I mean, when you create chances, when you defend pretty well, you expect results and we're not getting them right now. No, and, and we should have, again, we should have won this game. We should have won the game.
1: We had, all, apparently were happy to sit back, waste time, go for a point, And they needed it desperately to reverse their atrocious run of form. And we just could not come up with the end product and it's end product on both ends. And to your point about, you know, individual errors on the defensive side of the ball. Well, when we have to, we can't get the same defensive lineup in for more than two games in a row before we have to chop and change. And so I think there's yep. definitely a perhaps underrated element of a lack of trust among the defensive players to uh, cover for one another. And so you get these players, maybe backing off players they shouldn't or overextending uh, thinking they need to, to do something where they're, they're, Uh, partner would normally cover for them Um, and it's just it just speaks of an unsettled side we talk about the identity this is a squad that should have an identity I think Carlo has a vision for how he wants to play but uh, we struggle with with finding the right personnel to actually execute on it and then we have the individual errors that cost us And, and that's I think in a nutshell why the
0: current run of form looks the way it has. Yeah. So Andy DBQ, I think on Twitter made a really good point. And it's right to your point. Lack of depth makes us change formation systems and play differently. Every time a players hurt, you're right. We're not mature. We don't have all, like if, even if Carlo wanted to play a single system, he doesn't have the depth to do it. Um, and, And if you're not having the same people, then you're not used to playing with people as well. Squad already struggles, to finish chances, defend consistently. It compounds the problems. One more from Richarlison and right-side attacker for balance. I mean, the question is, is this something more symptomatic of a greater issue or is this yet another one-off? USA Toffee guy makes a really good point, I think. And he said, we're collectively too slow and unathletic. This is why that matters. So a lot of Carlo teams, I mean, this is a Saatchi disciple, at least initially started out that way. He would like to press more, I'm sure. USA Toffee guy. So we can't press and if one of our few athletes dribbles at someone they are crowded out. So think about that. In this side you would think Richarlison, Decore, say you play a Wobi up top right. If you want to press high or higher, those guys are athletic, they can do it. But you know, I once you take one or two of them out or have a Wobi playing right back or something with Hamez playing up higher, it's harder. You know, the team is yeah. not collectively athletic though. Um and I think that's very interesting. Richard a lot of people are calling out Richarlison's inability to finish. It does make a difference. He seems yeah. like he's he's a little off and the last 2 years he's finished very well. He's definitely exceeded his expected goals right. both years by I feel like four goals or something. Um and I think he is a good finisher. I mean, he does it with Brazil, but he's not he's not quite that way. Uh, I think Mark Christopher has a good point too. He he brought up something that maybe we haven't touched on and that's the midfield play. And his yeah. point was Don't think Everton can win if Alon has to be counted on to both win balls back and advance them. I think the Burnley goal and the many misplaced balls, and again, we didn't possess too many, but we weren't swift in dealing with the press. Was him trying to do too much? Do we think that has merit?
1: I think it does. I think it does, and I think the midfield in general, I think... The roles I think kind of bleed into each other a lot. You know, you look at DeCorey to play that box to box role, but it seems like Allen has been doing that uh, more and more often in the last couple of weeks, where he's expected to kind of sit deep, but also drive, provide a lot of the the central uh, impetus to drive the ball forward, bring it forward, and he seems to do well at that. But at the same time, that I think that third midfield position, like in a two man midfield, DeCorey and Allen tend to get found out a little bit. Once we added Andre Gomez, who we also haven't mentioned yet. I mean, Andre didn't have his best game, but I thought he played better than he has in recent weeks. He's still a massive defensive liability, but the ability to pick a long pass, um, at least provided some balance because he kind of could shift out to the left, provide maybe an option for James or provide that, that switch back to the right-hand side when it came to the left. Um, But, in regards to Allen, yeah, he, you can't ask one player to do it all. hes I think he's a well-rounded player who uh, in individual moments can do all the things that you might expect, but then over the course of the 90 minutes, it just wears him out and and we need to find the right combination of attributes in that midfield. And I think we're still kind of struggling to do that.
0: Yeah, Andre was not good in the final third, but he never really is. No. But yeah, no question. Yeah. He helped transition offense very well. His passing range was in effect. And saw him win a couple battles in there as well, too, as well as do his kind of sneaky snide stuff, which he does ever so well. <laughs> um, so it was good to see him back. He looked a little bit more like his old self. I don't think he's yeah. the answer if we need to score goals, but he might be the answer in terms of possession. I think that is one thing he does well. But yeah, terrible on defense. And then there's the other side of the fence, and that's, you know, NSO Cole said it and Jacob Holton said it isolated unlucky result really felt similar to a lot of our wins yeah uh, i mean jacob jake said the pride of cincinnati i don't know why i'm calling jake that. i like <laughs> jake though jake and i talk a lot um he's very bright and has a very interesting take on things i might be foolish but yesterday feels unlucky six more shots on target dominate for most of the match and anyone other than siggy taking that last chance in it's three points i think there's some merit to that too but ultimately, uh, you know, we still didn't get it done, and you just hope it's not going to be a recurring theme. I think next week's going to be tough. I-, I I think some of the other teams after that are not as tough as people are playing out. Chelsea's going to be a big test. Uh, but anyway, to wrap it up, man of the match, James. You, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think your your BFF Alex Wobie is the most obvious choice, and I know we kind of lambasted the, the the pick for decision. I mean, I think it has to be a Wobie you could make an, an argument for ben godfrey but i think owbley was so important for providing the vast majority of our offensive uh chances our offensive movement a lot of the the, the space he was afforded i think he took his chances well and bar a couple of bad crosses was really important. Influential. And I think it's really encouraging to see a player who has been, um, who had been borderline written off by a lot of the fan base come in and play in an, a bit of a different role than he's historically played and still manage to excel. I think, you know, we, we have a lot of gaps in the squad due to injury right now. And I don't think that we have a lot of versatility. I mean, anytime you're playing Tom Davies at wing back, that speaks volumes, but it is reassuring to know that we have a player. In Alex Iwobi, who has demonstrated the ability to be versatile, even though most of the squad may not have that. So I'm going to have to go with Alex Iwobi. Um, Pickford made a couple of really important saves, but again, I don't think he was involved quite enough to justify a
0: man of the match out. I thought uh, DeCorey had an underrated uh, performance mm. i thought he got himself in dangerous positions but i agree the production wasn't there so you can't give him credit for stuff that didn't happen even if it wasn't his fault Yeri mina had an outstanding match i thought you know that's someone we haven't called out um he was good all the way around took took control of the air um uh, took control of the ball very well he loves to put the front foot forward i thought he had a very good performance against a tough a tough opposition in terms of what he was being asked to do. But yeah, it's gotta be Alex Iwobi. I'm sorry. I mean, I thought he was the most dangerous player we had out on the pitch. I mean, James was good too, but I, I really think it was Alex Dom scored, but ultimately, you know, there are massive gaps between their back line and the midfield that we did not exploit. I feel like Dom's got to get better at coming back to the ball to bring pe- more people in the offense. But ultimately, yeah, my man of the match is Alex Iwobi. Um, and I think that pretty much kind of, Wraps her up, James. Any parting shots? Yeah, I mean, I think we just have to look ahead at the December schedule.
1: I mean, there was the chart that came out or the graph. Everton have the an average of two matches. Uh, this is like specifically, I think, the end of December into early January. It's going to be a lot of fixtures in a very short period of time to a squad that's already decimated by injury. So I think rotation is going to be something that's, that's really important going forward. I think we will see guys like, as you said, Ryan and Kunku will yes. get a chance. Gordon's going to get a chance. Guys will get chances and it's upon them to take it. But you look next few matches, we've got Chelsea, we've got Leicester, Arsenal, and then the cup final quarterfinal rather against United. So that is a a tough four games i mean i don't think arsenal are quite as good i mean they just lost uh in the derby london derby today to spurs who uh again looking back our last clean sheet was the opening day <laughs> opening day win against spurs feels like we need to stop shipping goals um and let the offense sort itself out but not conceding first is going to be huge coming up and uh I'm I'm honestly a little bit scared, but I'm also hopeful that Carlo can can solidify things. And what's nice is that we're not having this conversation about changing managers. I think everyone yep. still
0: fully backs the manager and and has faith that we'll we'll be able to kick on under him. The only thing I will say is my parting shot is when these young guys get a chance, cut them a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't. It's not fair to have that expectation that I mean, Niles and Kunku is not Luca Dean. Yes, and maybe he will be. I think he's a great talent. That, that does not mean it's a bad transfer. I think it's fantastic. We beat him out for, we beat Leipzig out. We beat some big clubs out to get him for free, basically. Um, and the same thing with Anthony Gordon, man, cut him a break. He's going to make a lot of mistakes, but he's going to take initiative. He's going to show front foot stuff in his pace and he has great talent. Let's put him in positions to succeed. If he starts by coming off the bench, it's fine. That is actually probably a very good role for him to run down against guys that are tired or have tired legs. I think that cup match is going to be massive, but um, Chelsea's going to be tough. I agree. But after that, I don't think it's as hard as people say in terms of style of play. I think, look, we are not that deep. So I think we're going to struggle against certain teams that can play with either great skill or can pressure us. But I'll tell you what, Carlo has not dialed up any sort of tactical wizardry yet, and he tends to be at his best against bigger sides and often guys that are maybe not as experienced frank lampard does not strike me as a tactical wizard although they looked very good against Leeds. we'll see how it goes i still have faith in this team i'd love to get some guys back from injury um but we just got to solder on Uh, and again what matters is where we are at the end of the table right now there's plenty of games left
1: plenty of time left and i think at least in the season, if not this podcast, because I think that's going to just about do it for us. Thank you, everyone, so much for checking out the show. If you don't mind leaving us a review uh, and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, please do give us also a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at USA Toffee Pod. You can also go to linktr.ee/usaToffeePod. slash USA Toffee Pod. That is just a uh, page that has all the links to all the socials and all of our uh, places you can find the pod and join our discord also invite.gg/atp that's going to do it for us folks until next time up the toffees